No matter how original anything is to begin with, if it hangs around long enough, it eventually becomes a cliché. And if after a while that cliché fades, and you find yourself missing it, well, that's nostalgia. In all the old familiar places That this heart of mine embraces All day through A curious thing about nostalgia is that history would have us believe it is a modern phenomenon. The word itself didn't come into being until the 1730s. Swiss mercenaries fighting for France's King Louis XV in the War of Polish Succession developed a yearning to return home. And initially, that's what nostalgia referred to, homesickness. It's a fusion of two words, nostos from the Greek for homecoming and algos from the Latin for pain. I'm sitting in the railway station, got a ticket for my destination. While far from being new, homesickness can surely be traced back further than the 1730s. From Greek mythology, Ulysses, the king of Ithaca, fought in the decade-long Trojan Wars, only to spend another 10 years trying to get home to his Queen Penelope. The accumulation of which suggests that after much fighting, a love reunited is the reward. Earlier, in the Old Testament, Moses led the Jewish exodus out of Egypt and home to the Promised Land. The accumulation of which suggests that after much suffering, salvation is at hand. In other words, nostalgia, homesickness, is eventually relieved. But in Irish mythology, Queen Neve wooed the warrior poet Usheen away from Erin and off to Tirnanog, the land of eternal youth. For centuries they lived together, but Usheen always pined to see his homeland once more. Neve eventually relented, but giving him her horse for the journey, she warned him he could only view the land and never set foot on the soil. Usheen returned home and saw the land utterly changed. Aghast, he forgot Neve's warning and stepped from her horse onto the earth. At once he aged 300 years, the accumulation of which suggests that, as Thomas Wolfe wrote, you can't go home again. Something similar but entirely different happens in Giuseppe Tornatore's Cinema Paradiso. Released in 1988 and winner of the Golden Globe, BAFTA and Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, Cinema Paradiso appears to have an uncomplicated relationship with the past. Riddled with cliché and drenched in nostalgia, 
The two combine to deliver the magical combination that often attracts millions of movie lovers the world over. Salvatore De Vita, played by Jacques Perrin, is a successful film director who takes a journey into his memories, recalling his childhood and youth in the small Sicilian village of Giancaldo during the 1940s and 50s. With his father killed during the war, Salvatore, or Toto as he is affectionately called, is raised by his mother Maria, played by Antonella Attili. Rather than going to school, Toto, played as a child by Salvatore Cascio, spent most of his time in the local cinema helping the projectionist Alfredo, played by Philippe Noiret. Another regular visitor to the cinema was the local priest Father Adelfio, played by Leopoldo Trieste, who insisted he see the films before they went on general release so he could censor any images he deemed idolatrous, pornographic or obscene. At the time, there were over five and a half thousand such parish cinemas dotted around Italy, and with Italians going to the movies on average once a fortnight, it indicates just how much control the church had over popular culture. And that complicates the film's apparently uncomplicated relationship with the past. With the bulk of the story covering Toto's childhood, the nostalgia that adult Toto has is for a time when popular culture was suppressed by the Catholic Church. Not only that, but most of the story takes place at a time when Sicily, still recovering from the war, was in a state of economic ruin. How could anyone yearn for days like that? That paradox is only further confounded as Toto remembers the time when, later as a teenager and played by Marco Leonardi, he was told by Alfredo to get away from Giancaldo, leave Sicily, head for Rome and fulfil his destiny by becoming a filmmaker. Don't come back anymore. Don't think about us. Don't turn around. Don't write. Don't give in to nostalgia. For the rest of us though, nostalgia is not exclusively about home. It is about the past, especially if that past is home. But although it is inexorably bound up in history, nostalgia is not historical. Neither is it factual, nor is it rational. It's not even intellectual. It's sentimental. Because nostalgia operates in a very anachronistic way, the sentimentality it generates distorts the past. It conveniently slips and slides events and elements back and forth, so any and all contradictions and arguments are ironed out into a neatly ordered fiction that suits our own emotional needs. A case in point is evident in the montage that climaxes the story. Clips from almost three dozen films are shown, all of them shown to us in black and white. This despite the fact that two of them, The Adventures of Robin Hood and Senso, were actually filmed in Technicolor. How or why would Tonatore commit himself to such a fallacy? Because he understands that no matter how pleasurable nostalgia may feel, ultimately it leaves us blind. 
The thing is, though, that the Cinema Paradiso that has charmed millions of viewers for over 30 years is not the film Tornatore initially set out to make. And intentionally or not, the difference between Tornatore's original idea and the film audiences love tells us something more important about nostalgia. The plot was inspired by one of Tornatore's closest friends, who had served as an altar boy in the local parish, where the priest had demanded the cinema's projectionist cut out all footage the priest deemed damaging to public morality. But rather than restore the footage to the prince as they were shipped back to the distributor, the young boy made sure he kept all the excised clips. With that in mind, Tornatore set out to make a film about a director, conflicted with a sense of absence and his hope that filmmaking would fill that emptiness. Quite an ambitious project, and as it turned out, that canvas proved too complex for audiences to accept. Remember, nostalgia is about simplicity. In Tonatori's original script, and indeed the first cut of the completed film, the story begins with Toto not having been home in over 30 years. But when he receives a phone call from his aging mother, played by Pupella Maggio, telling him that Alfredo has died, Toto's memories begin to play. While those memories cover his time as a young boy, almost an equal measure of the original cut was devoted to his memories of his teenage love affair with Elena, played by Agnese Nano. But as adult Toto returns for the funeral, reconciles with his mother, and witnesses the old cinema being torn down to make way for a car park, his thoughts are overrun by a desire to rekindle the relationship with Elena. And that sequence takes up almost the same amount of time. In other words, Tonatore was vying to deliver a triptych of life, a trilogy, albeit a short one, that appears on the surface to be about childhood innocence, teenage romance and adult regret. However, if we dig a little deeper, we see it is also about love, a young boy's love for cinema, a teenager's love for a girl and an adult's love for his late mentor. Tornatore filmed almost everything that was in his screenplay, but when it came to post-production, he and editor Mario Mora found that the tone was complicated by the final section, so they decided to excise almost all of it, thereby reducing the original three-hour running time by some 20 minutes. But when Italian audiences got to see that version in November 1988, they were unimpressed. So Tornatore and Mora went back into the editing suite and took out another 35 minutes. And it was that two-hour version that competed at the 1989 Cannes Film Festival. Clearly, the tactic worked, because the jury, led by Wim Wenders, awarded Tonatori the Grand Jury Prize, and Cinema Paradiso went on to woo audiences around the globe. Then, in 2002, the full director's version, running at 174 minutes, went on release and to compare them is to watch almost two entirely different films. Ironic considering how many different other films Tonatori shows throughout his story. We see, amongst others, Charlie Chaplin's The Knockout, John Ford's Stagecoach, and Victor Fleming's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 
But while it appears Tonatori selected those American productions on the grounds of their stars, John Wayne, Claire Trevor, Spencer Tracy and Ingrid Bergman being instantly identifiable, the Italian films he chose are more pertinent to Toto's overall life story and the story of village life. For instance, there is Luchino Visconti's 1948 neorealist masterpiece La Terra Trema, which, also set in a Sicilian village, told of the Velastro family, whose meagre existence fishing the seas is ruthlessly exploited by the mafia who control the market. La Terra Trema was followed the next year by In the Name of the Law, directed by Pietro Gemmi and co-written by Federico Fellini. Also set in Sicily, that picture focused on a young judge appointed to clean up a village, again controlled by the Mafia. While young Toto would have been too young to realise those films provide a commentary on village life, another film far more pertinent to Toto's own story is Fellini's Evita Loni. Made in 1953 and seen by Toto as a teenager, Fellini's semi-autobiographical film charted his years as a young adult in his hometown of Rimini and how at the end he left on a train without saying goodbye to his friends. The thing is though, that while Toto abandoned his hometown of Giancaldo and went to Rome, working in Cinecita Studios, he was always in a home from home. At the end, as he sits in the screening room, he is returned to his childhood haunt, and watching the lost images, he is haunted by their power. The cinema then becomes a refuge, a sanctuary of the past, where memory and passion can be preserved forever. Toto is deluged by the Cascade of Kisses, Rudolf Valentino and Vilma Banki in The Son of the Sheik, Clara Bow and Charles Rogers in Wings, Charlie Chaplin and Georgia Hale in The Gold Rush, Clara Calami and Massimo Girotti in Ossessione, Anna Magnani and Gastoni Renzelli in Bellissima, Marcello Mastroianni and Maria Schell in La Notte Bianchi. It doesn't matter whether we are able to recognise who the actors are and what films they are in. Their aggregate is so compounded by Ennio Morricone's music, the meaning is clear. Having secured permission to use a clip from Evita Loni, Tonatori then asked Fellini to play the projectionist in Toto's private screening room at the very end of the film. But Il Maestro declined, astutely pointing out that his sudden appearance in such an important part of the film would, in his own words, be too distracting for the audience. Instead, Fellini suggested that an unknown actor play the part. Let Tonatori do what he advised. So Tonatori did. Heeding Fellini's advice, Tonatori was able to achieve several things at once. By placing himself in the projection booth, Tonatori resurrects Alfredo, and in having Toto relive his childhood in the stalls, the final sequence has Tonatori as both the inventor and spectator of cinematic dreams. Which is the same for us and the way we engage in our own past. Through nostalgia, we all become 
both creators and believers of our own memories. <laughs>